Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Living is a very personal matter. (laughs) Nobody can do it for you. (laughs) Others can offer much advice, endless suggestions as to what you should do, how you should behave, how it should go. However, in the last analysis, whatever you have come to know resolves itself into your own mental concepts, ideas, and opinions. They're colored and enhanced by your own emotional and physical nature. You alone can be you. And as you come to understand the way that your mind is creative, new vistas of living will open up for you. The greater experience and appreciation of life can only be yours by first establishing an inner awareness of what is yours. Ernest Holmes, thoughts are things. So what part of what's going on in my head isn't mine, right? Are you all beaming thoughts into me? What do you think he's talking about? Are we we somehow the, uh, I don't know, responsible for telegraphing into one another's heads? What's going on? What what do you think he means? I want to illustrate with an old fable. And it was interesting because although I originally found this in Aesop's fables, it actually comes from the uh, Arabic writer uh, Ibn Sayyid from the 12th century. So an old man, a boy, and a donkey were going to town. The boy rode on the donkey as the old man walked. As they went along, they passed some people who remarked, gosh, it's a shame that that old fellow's walking. Why wouldn't the young boy? So the man and the boy thought maybe the critics were right, and they changed positions. Later, they passed some people that remarked, what a shame he makes that young boy walk. So they decided they both would walk. Soon they passed some more people who thought they were stupid to walk when they had such a strong donkey that could easily bear them. So they both climbed onto the donkey and rode on. Finally, they passed some people that shamed them by saying, how awful to put such a large load on a poor donkey. So the boy and the man thought, well, maybe they're right. And although it was difficult, they managed between the two of them to carry the donkey into town. But as they crossed the bridge, they lost their footing. Everyone fell into the river. (laughs) I think that's what Ernest Holmes is talking about. I think that's where some of our trouble comes from. We're so easily influenced, if you will, by the opinions, the thoughts, and the beliefs of other people. Have you ever found yourself in a position where even though something just didn't feel right to you, you decided to go with the opinions of others, with your loved ones, with advice from people? Well, Ernest Holmes calls this whole idea part of race consciousness, meaning the entire human race, that as a a race of human beings on the planet, we, we tend to have an inertia of our thoughts. A, a commonality in what we, or most of us, 
believe to be true. And we, we believe it about just the most outlandish things, how people are supposed to look, how people are supposed to behave, what motherhood is like, what fatherhood is like, how relationships are supposed to go, what couples are supposed to look like, how they're supposed to behave, what's appropriate business wear and what isn't, you know? It, it's like, is anyone here wearing white today? You know it's before the time that we can be wearing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, right? And, and some of these things come and go through the centuries as to what the ideal man looks like or the, uh, but isn't it a, a pressure that's there, right? There is, I think, a pressure of living that we maintain some of these ways that we're to be. I know that my, uh, my niece right now, actually a, a, a quite beautiful young woman, has that pressure on her that she just doesn't feel that she looks right. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with her. And yet the sense of needing to wear exactly the right clothes and, and enough accessories but not too many and the right kind of shoes and how sad to see this in someone who's 12, I think. I mean, obviously, it's her life, right? It's her sense of what should be right for her, or is it? Is it that outside influence? Is it the advertising media? Is it our race consciousness that's tugging at us a bit? Well, I want to use um, maybe, a, hopefully, a fun example for you all. I had the honor of conducting a, a wedding over the weekend, and it was interesting. So many things about weddings, if you think about it, are based on tradition, accepted tradition, what is right, what the brides are supposed to wear, what, what side, when the couples walk down the aisle, what side the, the man is supposed to be on, what side the woman is supposed to be on, whether, whether or not the, the bride can be seen by the groom on the day of, I mean, it is full of stuff. And I got to say, my bride, quite modern, quite clear in her own head of what the day was supposed to be. Not so much the wedding coordinator from the church I was at, though. It was interesting. For the rehearsal, right, the, the bride is helping to organize the way she wants her day to go, and it's fine. And she had decided that contrary to the way it normally is, that her people would sit on the wrong side of the sanctuary. You know, it's traditional that the bride's people are on the left-hand side and that the groom's people are on the right-hand side. Well, her, her mother wanted to be part of the ceremony and she had an uncle and, and those were the two people on the correct side that would be close to the podium. And so it made total sense to really everyone there, well, except for the bridal coordinator, um, that we would just switch the sides. I mean, who cares? Who even needs sides, right? As far as that goes. So it was fine, although this kind of, um, shall we say, stern bridal coordinator, I think, still had problems with it. It's like the rehearsal went fine and everything was good and the bride was happy. And then comes the wedding day, right? And what I'm observing, of course, I'm up front as they're seating people and whatnot. And as I observe people coming in, right, what's happening? The ushers are being told, no, you're seating me on the wrong side, <laughs> right? Because, <laughs> of course, the bridal party knew, but not the, not the guests coming in. And so one by one, these 20-year-old, you know, lovely ushers who haven't a clue about bridal etiquette, and here, and here are the people they're seating, like going, no, I can't sit there. <laughs> it was just fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, it made me laugh, I'm up, which is good. I mean, it's nice to have a happy, smiling minister at a wedding. 
But what I observed is we constantly get that kind of pressure, right? Most brides might not have been quite that way. Many of them maybe would have felt, oh gosh, if I want to get this wedding off to a good start, maybe I need to follow all the rules. Maybe I need to do it the way tradition, or, or in, in particular, the wedding coordinator says it should go. And I was really proud of the bride for having a sense of what she wanted and sticking to it, even though there were probably 20 or 30 people that questioned somebody about that arrangement. They even came up to me. One person said, so are you Jewish? Why are we, why are we, why, why are we doing it? Why are we doing it the Jewish way? Which is true, by the way. And, and in a Jewish ceremony, they do flip them, right? And so, so someone came up and said, is this your doing? Are you Jewish? <laughs> My point here is, Sometimes we have to actually stick to our guns. Sometimes this race consciousness, this belief of others, is there for really no good reason. Just maybe tradition or the way that it's always been done. And my observation is, it can be easy to plug into that. It can be easy to put aside our own desires and our own wishes to please a spouse, to please a mother, to please a teacher, to please someone who pretends to be the authority of it or the, the person that says this is the way it should be. And I'm not to say that now and then they can't be right. Well, of course they can. Many of these traditions were built up around lovely and wonderful things. But oh my gosh, is that how you want to live your life? Do you really want to live like my niece trying to fit in as best she can? Do you want to live like the bride who would stuff her own desires about her special day to meet the needs of a wedding coordinator or, or what the ushers think or whatever it is? See, here's my worry, is that we will get lost in the opinions of others, that there will be expectations put on us that we observe around us that is the way it usually goes, and we'll think that we have to conform, that there's something in me that isn't quite right. And see, I think that's what's going on with my niece. I think her desire to fit, isn't, fit in isn't that she wants sameness. I think she's afraid of not being enough, of not being pretty enough, of being social enough, of being loved enough. That's the danger I think that we face here. That's the reason we're sucked into some of these ideas of the way the world should be. It isn't that we just want to hide under a rock, although occasionally, maybe so. Maybe we do want to just blend in and be invisible. But I think more often than not, it's because there's something in us that maybe senses if this is the way other people do it, maybe there's something wrong in me. Maybe I should secretly want the people to be sitting on the other side of the aisle. Maybe, maybe there's just something lacking or, or I would want what everyone else wants. Only you can be you. It's why we're different. It's why there isn't just a, a one person that represents humanity. All of us and the whole idea of DNA and genetic distribution is so that there's actually and on purpose a lovely variety here on the planet. Each one of us has our own heart's desires. Each one of us has our own way of perfect expression in the world. Each one of us gets to choose, as Reverend Sharon was saying in her opening prayer, life is choice and we get to make it 
And if we don't make it, someone else is apt to have made it for us. If we just go along with the flow, what we're tentatively saying is what was good for everyone else, what is good for the general consensus of people, therefore, is good enough for me. I will, I will acquiesce, I will go along with it, it's fine. And now and then I don't think that there's any harm in that. Now and then pleasing other people is maybe a, a low emotional cost way of living in the world but it's no way really to live in the world. Living on this planet is about expressing ourself to the, the, the height of what is true for each of us. Each one of us has the capability of being an amazing gift to this planet and if we follow the rules too often, we actually lose sight of who we are. We begin thinking we're one of the Stepford wives. We, we begin plugging into the good old boy system and some of those things that have, oh my gosh, defined American society and not in good ways for so many, many years. So how do we know when we're following our own heart or whether we're following this idea of race consciousness? Well, first of all, much in the way that my friend Rachel at her wedding simply feels out of something's not right here. I have plans and I'm getting some pushback. I'm having a sense of what I should do or what I should be and I'm just getting a little bit of the no that's not good enough or no that's not right or this is the way we should do it and sometimes it will take a very familiar and almost comforting face and let us be aware, let us be even a little afraid when someone comes up and says oh dear you just don't understand how it's done. <laughs> Doesn't it sound loving and comforting when the, when the wedding coordinator comes up and says, oh my dear, I've done hundreds of weddings. You'll be in good hands. <laughs> Just leave it to me. <laughs> it will be so beautiful. <laughs> All right, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much, not by much. And it has that seductive quality of inviting you in, of just releasing all desire of your own for someone else. I'm gonna take a switch in tactic now and it may startle you a bit. I wanna do another reading for this book because I think talking about the wedding, in a way, you might say, well, good Lord, she's paying for the wedding. Of course, she can have it exactly the way she wants. I would do the same thing. I wanna portray something that might not be quite as easy and yet we have to follow, I think, the same stalwartness. Now, this book was published in 1967, and so keep in mind, the survey that Ernest Holmes is talking about was a, a Gallup survey from 1967. He says, a survey made by the Gallup poll revealed that somewhat startling fact that half of the people in America are unhappy in the work that they're doing. A fair question to ask ourselves then is whether or not we would be happy at any kind of job. Is it a job? Or is it us? Whatever we can do about work that we dislike, we have to do to ourselves. We're the source of our own unhappiness. It is the way we react to our work, not what the work has done to us. If we cannot in some way find, in po find it possible to be happy at the work we are now doing, we may never find work that we will be happy in. When we can learn to like our lives as it is, 
we will be able to increase our happiness with life itself. Now, doesn't this sound a little different, right? What if we aren't in charge of the wedding, right? Most of us who have jobs, well, well, there are a set of rules that we kind of have to follow. There are norms of being in the office, of what we wear, and we have to show up nine to five and five days a week, and whatever the parameters are, not quite as easy to control the outside of things as it was for, for the bride to just say, no, I'm going to have, this is my day, I've paid for it, and we'll have what we want. And yet what Ernest Holmes is saying is the same force is at work. Rachel enjoyed her wedding, right? Because she simply affirmed to herself, this is going to be the most joyous day in my life. I will be happy in it. And nothing can stand in the way of that. Now here's the trick. When you are unhappy, you have to have exactly the same willingness and ability to claim your own happiness. So even if the job isn't going well, even if the relationship isn't going well, even if your life seems to be hitting a snag or having rocky places in it, you need to be able to stand there in your own truth and just say, my happiness is for me to decide. This is going to be a happy day. I am going to find love today. I am going to enjoy myself today, despite what the wedding planners or my co-workers or my boss, I'm going to stand in my own truth. And what I know is that if I am a happy person, that will be reflected to me. That if I recognize in myself that I intend to have good relationships today, that that's what will be reflected to me. That as I orient my life towards love and happiness, towards joy and peace, that the universe, that God, in fact, in its full power will say, very well, that is what we shall see here. That's what we'll increase more of. Despite what's going on around us. Do you see What so often happens is what we see going on around us is not what we want. And so we spend a lot of our time fussing around what we don't want. All of our energy is in the what we don't want. It's like uh, it's like not wanting to have lemons in the store. Just, you know, I used to uh, subscribe to organics to you, one of the organic things in town. And uh, and for a while, it seemed like and this was actually before I kind of liked kale. uh, But for a while, it was like more kale. All I'm getting is kale. And so I would call them and it would be more kale. It's like I can only eat so much of it. I can only digest so much of it. And the more I fussed with them, the more they would send me other things. That I, and finally I just said, now wait a minute. I really love some of the things they bring me. I really appreciate this service. I'm for the organic movement. I love the fact that they can deliver it for me. I just need to be at peace with this. And so I actually went down to one of their offices and I told them the story of what I loved, not what I didn't like. I told them about the convenience. I told them about the, the, the niceness of, of having it delivered and some of the vegetables I loved. And particularly like, like kohlrabi season, I was delirious. And do you know what I mean? I really played up that this is an experience that was to be enjoyed and loved. And I, I don't know what happened other than my affirmation of my good, but it was perfect after that. 
And occasionally they would phone me and say things like, what about rhubarb? Are you kind of a rhubarb guy? <laughs> we have to claim what is true and good for us. If we, if we dwell in the unsatisfied life, we will always be able to find more that's unsatisfied. If we claim our good, if we understand what's important to us, if we live out and make choices that affirm that life is grand and love is present, that is what we will see. That is what will be given to us. Last week, I assigned you some homework. Do you remember what it was? I, I know some of you did it. In fact, I got a call from one person. Really? I have to do this? Well, of course, you don't have to. But the homework last week was to find five things that were going really well in your life and figure out the thinking that produced it. Figure out your emotional and mental state that produced those good things, those thoughts that became things. And if you'll remember, I also challenged you to find maybe five things that aren't working so well in your life and see if you can approach the thinking that also so powerfully produced the negative aspects of your life. The idea that we'll begin linking up our thoughts with our experience of life. And so that if we want a different experience of life, we can change our thoughts a little bit. Well, I'm going to uh, probably be equally unpopular this week because my homework assignments is to take another look at those things that are not going so well in your life and celebrate them. Now, not celebrate in negativity, but rather, if it's a, maybe a job that's not going so well, let us celebrate the pieces of that job that nonetheless are very powerfully good in your life. It may be the salary that you get. It may be the flexible hours or that you have weekends off. It may be the benefits package that your family has benefited from. Take something that you view as not very successful in your life and sing its praises because... If you praise it, it will become better. Now, I know the opposite is so often very true. The opposite is what? We complain about the things that we don't like. We, we see the faults in our job with our boss, with our benefits, with our, with our salary. We find the, the faults in the fact that I have to dress a certain way to go to work or that some of my coworkers are crazy and leaning on me and craziness is going on. And, and the more we look and celebrate the negativity going on, oh my gosh, I bet there's an infinity of it you can find there, right? I bet you can worry and stew yourself into finding one million things wrong with something that isn't going so well. And then where are you? You're just a mess, hating life. We have choices here. Instead, and I know this may be difficult, take something that seems less than ideal in your life and begin to sing its praises. Begin noticing that it's not as bad. It isn't 100% bad. Even if it's 90% bad, let us celebrate the 10% of utility there, the 10% of friendship there, the 10% of something there, and begin seeing the balance shift. Begin understanding that the more good you look for in it, the more good you will find in it. And you know what? Anything that is unlike what you claim will begin fading out. I've had bosses quit. I think simply because I was affirming that I had a great boss 
and eventually he couldn't stand it anymore. (laughs) So do not underestimate the real world results of your mental changes. When you really can change your thinking, when you really can begin affirming the goodness in your life, the world just doesn't think about echoing that. It's a law. It has to comply. It will have to give you what you can accept in your heart. It will give you the focus of your thinking, either for good or for ill. The more you claim it, the more you accept it, the more you celebrate it, you will have it. I'm going to close with a a final reading and a prayer from this excellent book. And those of you who have bought the book know that one of the nice things about it is is not only does it have, of of course, powerful information, but each chapter also ends in a prayer. So we'll have a little of both right now. You are either attracting or repelling according to your mental attitudes. You are either identifying yourself with lack or with abundance with love and friendship, or with indifference. You cannot keep from attracting into your own experience that which corresponds to the sum total of your own consciousness. This, this is the law of attraction. It works always and automatically. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one life, one goodness. There is one universal presence called God, and I know that means me. And so on this day, I accept only good into my life. There is only good in my conscious experience, and any unbelief in my mind is cast out. I remove doubt. I clear away obstacles. I permit that only which is enduring, perfect, and true to be realized in my thoughts. I have complete faith and acceptance that all the worthwhile ideas I now affirm will be fulfilled through the law. I know that my word shall not return unto me void. I accept this word of my good and rejoice in it. I am grateful. I let it be. And so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.